As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. The fact is that passive investing is not right for everyone. And that's something that I really ought to start speaking out to more so people can understand the contrast of it. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Actively Passive Investing Show. As always, I am your co-host along with Travis Watts. Travis, how are you doing today? Theo, doing great, man. Rocking and rolling. So I'm really looking forward to this topic today, as you can tell by the title, why you should not passively invest in real estate. So obviously, this is the actively passive investing show. We talk about the benefits of passively investing, different strategies, things like that. But I thought it'd be interesting to maybe present a contrarian perspective. So background for me, we're writing a passively investing book. And a lot of this stuff is obviously talking about how great passively investing is. But Joe Fairless was talking about a book that he read. And how it's really, really important that you present the contrarian perspective as well. And whether you address those issues or not is a different story, but that allows you to get your point across better as opposed to just looking through rose-colored glasses. And I find myself doing this constantly whenever Travis and I do like a pros and cons episode, I just go on and on and on about all the pros. And so we're going to get all of our potential cons or potential reasons why someone would decide not to passively invest in this show. And then next week, I'll go back to have my rose colored glasses on, so to speak. So before we dive into why people maybe don't want to passively invest or not passively invest, we'll let Travis also provide his thoughts on the subject as a whole. Yeah, I think that's a good foundation, Theo. I totally agree. In fact, about three months ago, I was a guest on someone's podcast and I'm going into what I do and I'm getting all ramped up and passionate about it. And they're like, whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. They said, it can't be all good. It can't be all rose. <laughs> I thought, oh, thank you. Thank you. Because <laughs> I do. It's like anything else. Someone that has children, you love your children, right? But it's like, why should someone not have kids? It's hard to step back for a second and say, oh, well, hmm. Hadn't really thought about that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we speak to your point about the benefits of passive investing on and on and on because it's our life. It's our world. It's what we do. I'm a full-time passive investor, obviously. 
But I love this. And I really want to add some value here to folks because there are so many active investors out there. My perspective seems like there's way more active than passive, which doesn't really add up in terms of the numbers. But anyway, flawed perception, I guess. So the fact is that passive investing is not right for everyone. And that's something that I really ought to start speaking out to more so people can understand the contrast of it. So something I love about living in America is you can make money doing so many different things. You can be a successful stock investor, a successful single family investor, doing Airbnbs, doing multifamily, running a business, et cetera, on and on. And I love that because I get so wrapped up in my specialty and my niche. And I think it's the best thing in the world, but then you run into people that are just crushing it in other industries, just killing it. And it's like, man, I didn't even know that was a thing. You've got 18 year olds running e-commerce businesses, making six figures out of high school. And it's like, whoa, where was I at that time? That was clearly better than whatever I was doing at 18. So this show is about why you should not invest passively. So I'll get on my little soapbox here in a minute, but Theo, did you have anything else before I dive in? Yeah, I would say just to elaborate on what you said about people make money doing anything. It's not necessarily whether passively investing, actively investing and whatever is objectively the best as we always go back to in most of our episodes, is based off of your situation. And so a lot of the things we talk about aren't absolute cons or absolute pros, benefits of passively investing. It's really going to depend on you, where you're at, what your goals are, and things like that. So a lot of the things we say today, we're going to, of course, caveat it with, this is not the absolute case. It's just we're going to give a general overview of the differences between active investing and passive investing, and then some of the potential pros and cons for each. Exactly. And as everybody probably knows by now, who's a listener, we're never giving any kind of financial advice or anything like that. We're not CPAs, attorneys, et cetera. So do seek out your own financial advice, financial planners, et cetera, people who are licensed to do so. This is for educational purposes, our points of view, a little compare and contrast, things like that. So What I'd like to start with is something I've been covering more and more in webinars that I do and speaking events that I've done, and it has a lot to do with investor profiles. So the way I break this down is we'll talk about a passive investor. And again, to Theo's point, in a general sense, what a lot of passive investors kind of resonate with in terms of characteristics or traits, and then an active investor and how that's different, why that's different. So I'll just kick it off with being a passive investor. In my experience, again, I'm a full-time LP. I network with thousands of LPs. I'm director of investor relations. So I talk with tons and tons of, of passive investors. This generally holds true among the crowd, so to speak. Generally, a limited partner or passive investor lacks the time to frequently monitor investments, meaning if they have to be involved on a daily basis or even on a weekly basis, quite simply, they don't have the time to do it. They're a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, attorney, athlete. We speak about that kind of stuff a lot, a business owner. The reason that they're choosing to be a passive investor is because they don't have the time to go do it themselves. So they're going to partner with somebody else that does have the time to go manage all that themselves. And then they're just going to participate in that kind of offering. They usually do enjoy, though, keeping up with financial news, kind of looking at the macro level. 
what is the Fed up to? What are interest rates doing? Where are people moving to and moving from? That's generally on the minds of passive investors. You want to obviously have a foundation and a basis for what you're investing in. And that stuff's really important to know. And the other thing is the way I phrase it, they like to own a little bit of a lot. In other words, and more simply put, diversification. So you are taking some risk because you are relinquishing control as a passive investor. But the benefit is you get to participate in a multitude of things. You could live in San Diego, California. You could have investments in Texas and Florida and Georgia, Ohio, the Carolinas. You could be in self-storage and mobile home parks and multifamily. So it's kind of cool to be able to diversify. But I think at the end of the day, if people get real, <laughs> which most are, but it's that you're seeking to match, but not necessarily beat just the overall real estate market. You just want to be involved. You're just looking to get some cash flow and hopefully some equity upside and just in general, a nice risk adjusted return. That's really what you're after. You're not trying to hit home runs every time, et cetera. And I like to draw the parallels to the stock market all the time. It's more like an index fund investor. I'm going to put some money in the S&P 500 index. I'm just going to participate among all these different companies. And hopefully I just get this averaged upward trending return when it's all said and done. Hopefully real estate's perhaps a little better for you, but I don't know. <laughs> in contrast, so an active investor, again, lots of conferences, networking. I run into actives all the time through every outlet. So this is generally the key here. They enjoy being in the business of real estate. It is a business. This is not something that you do passively or on the side. If you're going to be a general partner in a syndication or you're going to be a house flipper or something, it's very hard to do part-time. I would say it could be done. He's probably not going to be very successful at it. To the point that also diversification, as we talked about with a passive investor, it may not be a top priority to an active investor. And the reason would be for that, say you know a particular market very well, you grew up there, you have a lot of connections there. All of your deals could be in that market. So that's not very diversified. But at the end of the day, you seek control over your investments. You're the one finding them, underwriting them. You're under the impression, and hopefully it's true, that you're doing it best. You're looking out at your peers and the competition. You're seeing what everyone's doing, and you're saying, you know what? I got a better idea. I think I could do this smarter. I could do it better. I have access to deals these other folks don't have, et cetera. So that's why you might want to be an active investor and not a passive investor. And then you also should have hopefully a competitive edge in the marketplace, whatever that may be, your background or skill set, something else you did that maybe transfers over to real estate or again, deep connections, et cetera. So ultimately the way I see this is in complete contrast, an active investor usually seeks to beat the market, not match and not just passively participate in what's going on, but say, I can do that better and I'm going to do it better. And that's most general partners. That's most house flippers, et cetera. They're doing it because they see a potential for a higher return and a higher reward by doing so. And hopefully they do enjoy being, I'll say it one more time, being in the business of real estate. It's a business owner versus an investor. 
So that's the key difference between the two. So if any of those kind of resonate with you one side or the other, those are usually some leading indicators to at least consider. That's the investor profiles in a nutshell. I go into more detail on things that I do elsewhere, but for sake of this conversation, hopefully that makes sense and adds some value. That's a great breakdown of the differences between the passive investor and the active investor. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. One of the hardest tasks to balance while scaling your real estate investing business is accounting. Well, realestateaccounting.co takes care of the numbers for you so you can grow your business and revenue. REA helps property managers and investors save time and money by automating back office, financial, admin, and accounting. Starting is quick and seamless, from accounts payable to reconciliations, taxes, and reporting. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever to find out how REA clients save on average 30% by leveraging their accounting services versus hiring in-house. With CPAs on staff and being owner-operators themselves, REA knows the challenges of your growing real estate business. Try it risk-free at realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. And remember to mention the Best Ever Podcast sent you to receive up to $1,800 towards onboarding and services. That's realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. What I want to do now is I want to go through, not necessarily what Travis just said again, but what things that maybe will make you not want to be a past investor. So if I were to ask someone who is an active investor, maybe they're a GP, they're a fix and flipper, like, hey, why don't you passively invest in apartment syndications or whatever, either full-time or just period. So here's some of the things that they might actually say. So, so the main one would probably be the control, which Travis kind of already talked about, right? So when you're the passive investor, you do have some control, right? So going back to what I said earlier, there's caveats to all of this. It's not like you have no control, but most of your control is on that front end. So you control who you invest with. So we've talked about before how to evaluate GPs, evaluate their market, evaluate their deals. But once you make that decision to invest in that deal, then all of the control is in the hands of the GP or whoever you're passively investing with. So they have a business plan they're going to do, but they have a hold period, they have their pro forma, but you have no control over how quickly that business plan is implemented. You have no control over when the property is sold, when distributions are sent out. A lot of the stuff is up to the GPs. But of course, with that lack of control comes the benefits of less risk and less time. But the point is that if control is kind of your main priority and you want to be very hands-on and involved and you want to make the decisions in the business plan, then you're not going to be able to do that when you're a passive investor. 
that's probably one of the biggest differences between active and passive. So the reason why maybe active investors don't passively invest is because they don't want to give up control of their capital. Another one would be liquidity. So again, this one really depends on what you're actively investing in. But when you passively invest in the deal and you put your money in there, they'll have a projected hold period and you'll get your returns. But depending on the way it's set up, you can't just instantaneously hit up the GP and say, hey, I want my money back. And then they say, okay, yeah, I'll give it to you tomorrow or next week. That's not necessarily how it works. Again, depending on what you're passively investing in, there are things you can passively invest in that are more liquid than not. But as an active investor, if I want to sell, I can sell the property, get my money back. If I want to refinance, I can refinance and pull capital out. Like I get to make those decisions. Another one would be the fulfillment. So the fulfillment of running a business, scaling a business, maintaining a business, all of that fulfillment, the self-fulfillment that comes with growing and realizing your potential through active investing is there more so than passive investing, which is more of a a hands-off, I invest, I make my money, which I'm sure is fulfilling to a degree, but maybe not as fulfilling as putting your effort into the business and then seeing it continuously grow and grow and grow. Something else that Travis hit on too would be the returns. So this is potential return. So every single active investment is not going to return more money than every single passive investment. But in general, you're likely not going to say double your money in a year passively investing in a deal. Sure, it's possible, but it's a lot more possible to do that when you're actively investing. I know Travis has an example that he'll give in a second about that. But also when it comes to higher returns, you got to keep in mind that the return is not just absolute dollar amount, but also based off of how much money you have invested. And so we're talking about maybe on the small time level active investing with house hacks, where you can do these really low down payment loans after you move out and make 50% return on your money. A lot of creative financing where you can do seller financing or lease to owns where you can put lower to no down payments. Burr methods where you can pull your capital out and kind of make an infinite return even up to the big size, a GP who usually will invest their own money in the deals, but they don't have to do that. So technically they could have 30% ownership of a massive apartment community with little money down, which again has a high return. And then the last one, which maybe kind of relates to control as well, but that would be the competitive edge. So again, I'm sure it's possible to have a competitive edge when you're passive investing, but it's really all front end. It's finding that GP finding that market, that deal, and then invest in the money and then waiting. Whereas when you're actually investing, you can have some unique creative strategy when you're actually implementing the business plan that allows you to collect more rent or sell faster. Something as small as implementing some technology tweak to increase your NOI by 15%. So there's a lot more you can do when you're in control of the business plan. So that's some of the reasons why people might not passively invest. Again, not all of these are absolute. It's not like every single passive investment is liquid and every single active investment is completely liquid. But if you ask someone why they aren't passively investing, those are some of the things that they might say. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And on that last point that you made about having a competitive edge, I think there's kind of two ways to look at that. Just a quick little side note. So if you're an LP, like I'm a full-time loan partner, I would say if I have any competitive edge at all, it's that I have a network to a lot of different people and to a lot of different operators. So I get to look at a ton of deals 
look at a lot of underwriting and I've got some mentors in my network that are decades ahead of where I'm at doing exactly what I do. That would be my competitive edge is having resources to connect with to say, hey, is that a good deal, a bad deal? What are your thoughts? This is my kind of analysis of it. What do you think? That's a competitive edge. But more importantly, when you're a LP, because again, most aren't like me, a full-time LP, they're doctor, dentist, et cetera. So they're looking for a team that has the competitive edge, whatever that may be in their sector. Usually each general partnership has something that's kind of unique to what they do specifically. So that's really what you're trying to distinguish and find out. So great points. What I want to do is elaborate on my investor profiles, but in story format. I thought it might be useful that I share a couple active success stories because I was active for six years in real estate and I've been passive for six years. So I'm exactly at that halfway point. So I get to peer at kind of both sides of the pros and cons. And I certainly had some successes in the active space. So I want to share those with you. The first was a house hack that I did, which by the way, the term house hack did not exist in 2009, at least not that I had ever heard of. It was called renting a spare bedroom out, (laughs) which is what I did. But man, that was such an eye opener. And I'm going to put that in the active category because you still have to creatively think about your strategy, still have to advertise. I took a room and I fully furnished it and I did professional photos. It was active at the end of the day. And then, of course, depending on your roommate, (laughs) it could be very active or or it could be passive. Depends on how much work that person is to deal with. So (laughs) I chose a pretty laid back college student that that mainly just kind of hung out in their room. So it's actually pretty passive. But anyway, from an active perspective, I had this house, first house I ever bought. I was living in it. Mortgage about 650. Furnished room that I did very cheaply, just Craigslist, garage sales, stuff I already had, things that were donated to me, whatever. I made it look as good as I could on a budget. And I rented that thing out for $600 per month. So mortgage at 650, income coming in at 600 a month. And to your point, Theo, there's a very low basis. I put very little down to buy the house in the first place. The government was handing out money for first time home buyers. I got a benefit from that. And then here I'm getting basically my mortgage paid for right out of the gate post-college. And I thought that was a pretty sweet gig. So certainly one way to start or just something to think about if you have like a guest house or a basement that could be rented or whatever, everybody's situation is different. But to me, that was a huge success. I was very young and that was my first eye-opener to real estate and, and passive and active investing. It was kind of a hybrid. The second story is I bought this house several years later out in Colorado for $97,500. I remember the exact amount. I was so happy about it because it was a foreclosure. I had been begging my realtor to send me these types of deals. And unfortunately that didn't come through. So I actually found this deal and bought it for 97.5. It needed virtually nothing. I did not do the carpets. I did not do the paint. I did not do caulking. I did not do blinds. It was in great shape. So I bought this thing and I rented it out. So I had about an $800 a month payment approximately. I think that may have included the HOA. I can't remember exactly. But I was renting it at $1,200 per month. So I had a nice little margin there of cash flow and was lucky in my tenant selection. I was doing all that myself, kind of on a whim and inexperienced way. But I got lucky. So I rented that out for about two years. And then I asked my realtor, 
what do you think this house is worth? And you got to remember the time in this market cycle, especially out in Colorado, it's 2012 to 2013, somewhere in there. It's when the market started turning around and going back up. So we did an analysis. I got a comp and it was 215,000 were the comps. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I paid 97.5. So I said, do you really think we can get that? And she's like, yeah, I really do. I mean, that thing was on the market a week and 215 were under contract. Just incredible, exactly what the comps were. And I sold it. So there's double your money in two years. It was incredible. Very, very fortunate on that deal. Probably the best single family deal I ever had. So yes, there are pros and cons. Those are two obvious, huge pros to potentially being an active investor, things that are possible. Really hard, especially in 2021, to go find a 400-unit apartment building and go double your money in two years. That's not easy. <laughs> you know? Good luck doing that. So just some thoughts there. And I also want to share two other things too. These are my not-so-successful stories, I guess. <laughs> just to compare and contrast here. I was doing a flip in Brighton, Colorado. It was kind of like a little oil town about 45 minutes outside Denver. A lot of the oil companies and service companies were parked along this road that I bought this house in, in attached neighborhood to the highway and put an oil field worker in there. And well, actually I'm jumping ahead. This was supposed to be a flip. And so what I was going to do is I had an unfinished basement and I had kind of amateurly, if that's a word, put together my budget. I said, okay, it's going to cost this much to finish the basement, this much to repair the outside. This house actually did need quite a bit of work, but I bought it on the MLS. That was probably a pretty big mistake because I wasn't leaving myself a whole lot of margin in this deal. And as I really crunched numbers and sales proceeds, et cetera, when I thought about selling this property when I was done, the numbers quit making sense. And unfortunately, too late. I had already bought this property and I'm thinking, oh no, the basement's going to cost twice what I thought it was going to cost. All these different things were popping up as red flags and oh man, I am screwed. The only thing I could really do, because I wasn't going to live in this house myself, it was way too far from what I was doing. I decided to rent it out. So I put an oil field worker in there and they worked for the same oil company I worked for. So I thought, ah, we're best buds, right? We work together. Well, failed to screen the tenant, failed to do the background check, all this kind of stuff. So long story short, they, they paid the first month rent. They didn't pay the second. Then they were delayed on third and fourth. They got really, really ugly. I'd put brand new carpet and paint in this place, brand new curtains. I made this place look great because I was going to flip it. And <laughs> they only stayed one year and I was doing that for tax reasons. I wanted to have a long-term capital gain, hopefully associated. And man, they snuck a cat in there and that cat destroyed my carpets. They put holes in my walls upstairs, down and throughout the staircase. They stole all my curtains and my curtain rods. They destroyed my patio, my deck. They just trashed the place and they left some bugs that Bed I had to bugs. deal with. It was just a, what's that? Bed bugs? No, I can't even think of the name right now. I don't know why I'm blanking on it. But anyway, it was a mess. These people were dirty. They were nasty. They didn't pay. And then they destroyed my whole house. So then I had those rehab costs again, all over again, a year later. It was a disaster. I barely got out of that deal at a profit only because the market saved me and it was going up that I was able to get a tiny squeak out a tiny margin. And that's when I stopped doing flips, actually. That was, the, that was the last flip. So that has a lot to do with your experience. I'm sure some people have the opposite story, like my other single family home, they doubled their money or whatever. And, and that's great. And I had that too, but it all kind of comes out in the wash. So that really did me in. The last one is I had an Airbnb, kind of a hybrid between a house hack and an Airbnb. My wife and I bought a house, 1930s home out in Colorado. Very, very cool, old school Tudor home. Well, it had a separate outdoor entrance 
to the basement. So it was like a complete split level with privacy and all of that. So we put it on Airbnb. So it's kind of a hybrid. It was our own house, but it was short-term rental, whatever. And uh, <laughs> these folks, they rent it and they request a late checkout. And we always accommodate to that. We didn't charge anybody for late checkouts. But the problem is we only have this few hour window between the next people coming in the following day. So I was like sitting there ready to go and clean this place <laughs> as soon as I saw them leave. And of course they were late on top of the late checkout. It was anyway. So we go down there and the whole place is filled with pot smoke, like dense, heavy, thick, nasty, nasty marijuana smell is bad. It was so bad. And we had an older couple in a couple hours. <laughs> so we're running, we're throwing all our fans downstairs, opening all the windows. I'm like running to Ace Hardware, trying to get some sprays and stuff. And we're trying to mask all this stuff. It was very dicey, very, very sketchy. And oh man, the Airbnb stories in general, I could go on and on. But the point is, it was not a pleasant experience. And all of this stuff added up over six years, all these different pros and cons, for me anyway, resulted in, I ought to leave all this stuff to the experts and just be a passive investor. And more important than that, I know this show's about you wouldn't passively invest. Here's the thing, love what you do. Because something you said earlier, Theo, man, it's so important. Happiness and fulfillment, I think fulfillment's the word that you use, is so important. You don't get fulfillment by forcing yourself to do things you hate doing. And for me, it became something I hated doing, this active real estate stuff. So whether you're active or passive, just love what you do. Enjoy being in the business of real estate if you want to be in the business of real estate. And maybe before becoming a big general partner in a syndication, do some smaller active stuff, perhaps. And just make sure that that process is something that really resonates with you. There's a quote, and I forget who said it, but it's something to the effect of one of the biggest tragedies is when you get really good at the wrong thing. So many people do that in the corporate world. It's called the golden handcuffs, right? You just start working and promoting and making more and more money. And all of a sudden, one day you're making 200K a year, but the fact is you hate your job. And that's just such a tragedy. It really is. So if you're not really loving what you're doing or being fulfilled, then maybe switch gears. So that's what I did in 2015 to become a passive investor. But those are just some experiences and stories I thought I would share with the listeners. But my story doesn't mean it's right or wrong or good or bad. That's just been my experience. So hopefully that was helpful. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I really have on this topic. Wow, it's a crazy story. I'm glad you shared those. And while you were saying that, going back to one of the reasons why someone might not necessarily passive invest and kind of how you ended that would be that fulfillment aspect. So maybe some people get fulfillment out of having these crazy situations where the underwriting seems to not work anymore or these crazy tenant situations. Maybe they enjoy overcoming those challenges. And then once they overcome those challenges, maybe they also realize that in the future, they won't have to deal with that anymore. They're getting started. Once they've scaled, they can pass it off to a team member. So I really like that we brought up fulfillment because we maybe, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show yet, or maybe it's been a while, but if you like being an active investor, then that's a pretty big reason to actually invest. If you like being a passive investor and you don't like those stories Travis just talked about, then passive investing is fine. But just because you get more control, more of a competitive edge, or you have a potential for higher returns, None of that really means anything if you don't like it. <laughs> so I'm sure you'd much rather get that lower, more stable return and enjoy what you do as opposed to, as Travis mentioned, get really good at something that you don't like or that's the wrong thing. So I'm glad you brought that up. 
I don't have anything else to add, Travis. Anything else you want to mention about why people shouldn't passively invest before we sign off? No, I do think that's the most important key. Like what you do. And I know sometimes you have to maybe experiment with the stuff. I totally get it. And a lot of what you decide to do ultimately long-term is going to be based off that experience. So a lot of folks who are passive investors, limited partners in a syndication, for example, they're also active investors too. And I've shared the story of my dad's in that boat too. He owns several single family homes that he enjoys working with his tenants. They're really good people in a local community kind of sense. And and he gets fulfillment out of that. At the same time, he knows that if he were to have three or four X that amount of properties, that becomes a job now in the risk of things going sideways or bad or not being able to take a vacation anymore because this is your job. He he doesn't want that. So he kind of is in between the two. And that's totally cool too. And I guarantee if he had had a bad experience in those single families, he would be 0% active, but he's had a very positive experience. So it really depends. But yeah, if you're new, experiment. And you can be a passive investor in a sense, in different ways. We've talked about buying publicly traded REIT, a real estate investment trust for as little as $10. You can try this stuff out on a small scale, or maybe you could buy a home with an FHA loan or a VA loan for 3% down or something like that. If those programs still exist, I don't know. But just experiment, I think. But don't trek too far in the wrong direction, I guess is the best advice I could give. Great. Well, Travis, thank you again, as always, for joining us and sharing those stories. Hopefully you don't have PTSD from talking about those (laughs) those crazy experiences you had. I can see you getting riled up talking about it, (laughs) but I can totally relate to that. Best of listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions for us, we do the actually passive show that you're listening to right now. So we might answer on that. We also do a 60 second segment show that we post to YouTube and our other social media sites where we answer questions a little bit faster. So any questions, submit those to me, Theo at JoeFireless.com. And we will add that to our list. And then we're building up quite the library of these shows now. So if you go to our YouTube channel and go to, I think it's Joe Fairless, the best real estate investing advice ever. We have a, a playlist of all the actively passive investing shows we've done so far. So make sure you check that out as well. So Travis, thanks for joining me. Best ever listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Theo. Thanks, everybody. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference, February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group of eight to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at BEC2022.com. That's BEC2022.com.